So we, we, we started reading text 13 last week, and I just thought I'd um, talk a little bit more about this, where it says in the translation, he, he, meaning Krishna or God, is perceived in the repentant heart. And then Srila Prabhupada writes at the end, uh, the second half of the last paragraph, he is in the heart of every living entity. But he can be realized only by a soul who is repentant. The individual soul becomes repentant that he forgets his constitutional position, uh, that he forgot his constitutional position, wanted to become one with the Supreme Soul, and tried his best to lord it over material nature. He has been baffled, and therefore he is repentant. So here, Prabhupada is talking on the uh, existential level. Right? He's not talking about a specific... Sometimes we think about repentance. You do something stupid. You do something wrong. And then you repent that. He's, he's talking about, you know, we've turned our back on Krishna. Krishna buli sejiv anadhir bahirmuk. We've turned our back on Krishna. And we've chosen to um, either just forget him, try to enjoy separately from him, or try to become one with him. Uh, either of those, not a good idea. Um, not only not a good idea, but are the basis of our material existence, and so so the repent so everyone can repent, even if you've been totally you've never done anything wrong in your life. In this sense, you can be repentant because somehow you've gotten a material body, you're in the material world, you're not with Krishna, and therefore you should be repentant. So talking about that on on that level. Um, then on the um, day-to-day level, we also, uh, when we do something, we've talked about, I think we talked about this last week even, that repentance is there in the heart, as Prabhupada writes, I believe it's in the first canto, of someone immediately upon doing something wrong. Um, but the prayaschitta is to re- re-engage in devotional service, the, the way to counteract that and I use air quotes for counteract because we're not exactly trying to counteract. We're just trying to drown it, we could say, in, in, the, by the, in the ocean of devotion, which as a simple byproduct is that the reaction is negated, although that's not really the devotee's uh, motivation. The motivation is to... Thank you so much. Oh, very good, sweet green. Uh, uh, thank you, Govind. The, the motivation is to please Krishna. Because of a devotee on one, on one level thinks, you know, suffering, not suffering, this, that. Really, all I care about is pleasing Krishna. And then what comes about, whether good or bad or not so good or not so bad, that's up to, that's up to my previous karma, that's up to Krishna. We're going to talk about this a little on the Sunday open house today. Um, my duty is to please Krishna. And I, so I made some stupid mistake. I did something wrong. Okay. Let me refocus on pleasing Krishna. So Prabhupada writes, At that time, supersoul, or the relationship between the supersoul and the living individual soul is realized. So when we so that's quite a statement. We, we, can, we, we can realize our relationship with Krishna when we have this deep repentance of uh, what we, that we're in this material world. As it is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, after many, many births, the knowledge comes to the conditioned soul that Vasudeva is great. He is 
master, and he is Lord. The, living, the individual soul is a servant, and therefore he surrenders unto him. At that time, he becomes a Mahatma, great soul. Therefore, a fortunate living being who comes to this understanding, even within the womb of his mother, has his liberation assured. Any thoughts? Yes, uh, microphone? Hare Krishna. Uh, when you were talking about the repentance, uh, I was thinking like the identification with the material body is so strong and it's continuously reinforced that even when I talk with people, it's they t they think and talk in terms of of the sufferings that's happening in the material world and putting an end to that is the end game. Yeah, well... Okay. Not, not, not taking it one step further and saying, like, having this material body itself is the, the main suffering. Right. Uh, they right. don't even see it as the suffering. Oh, yeah, as long as we make the living conditions more comfortable and pleasant, and so everything is fine. Yeah. And Krishna warns us about that consciousness because it obviously is there even 5,000 years ago. And therefore, he says, uh, Janma... Mrityu Jiravyati Dukkha Doshanu Darshanam, the earth, birth, death, disease, and old age. So sometimes, just like our, uh, our Raj, who comes here every Sunday, um, so he volunteers um, in a hospice. So then you see, and he talks to me about the people that he talks, doesn't mention names or anything, but, and, and then they, they pass away, and then he gets another patient that he's, he's just there to kind of give them association mm -hmm. and you know, talk to them. And he talked about this one person who's only like, he's like 64 years old, and he was really at kind of the top of his game, very wealthy and you know, lots of friends and this and that, and some, I forget the, the kind of disease he had. And like four months later, he's in a hospice ready to leave this world. And so we don't, you know, we don't, um, Yudhisthira and Yamaraj having that discussion, right? That what's the most amazing thing in this world? The most amazing thing is that everyone dies, but we think it's not going to happen to me. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it can be an impetus. And we talked about that at the beginning of this chapter, that our main emphasis is on Krishna being attracted to him, serving him, understanding his beauty. But these chapters like this uh, can be, give us some impetus that uh, suffering is there and therefore... So that's not a, it's not a bad thing to say, I want to become God-conscious because I'm suffering so much. That's okay. It's, it's, that person is pious. But ultimately, we want to uh, serve Krishna because we want to love him. Yeah. Sure. Oh, um, but you yeah, have to hold the mic. I have to do it. Like, all right. Yeah. So, um, so basically, uh, you know... Just, uh, you're not doing it. Yeah. All right. So... Um, I mean, a lot of people are focused on, uh, you know, the suffering in the world and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, look, are looking for an escape from samsara. And, uh, you know, my personal opinion on that is that, uh, you know, if we're concerned about suffering, we can always do things to make the world a better place. Yeah. And that uh, if one ends up finding a happiness in life, that there's really no reason to, you know, pursue that form of moksha. 
because I mean, there, there's the moksha that is uh, you know knowledge of God and uh, you know self knowledge and enlightenment. Um, there's also release from samsara. But uh, if you have a happy life, there's really no reason to ever want to leave. You yeah. Know, go, you know, uh, Gokula, and uh, I personally believe we can attain the state of. Uh, you know, Goloka here on this, uh, in this life as well. We can. So. Uh, in one place, Srila Prabhupada writes that uh, devotional service and the kingdom of God are the same. So if we're absorbed in serving Krishna here, it's, it's, um, we're absorbed in serving Krishna there. So yes, uh, we can create the kingdom of God here. And, and that's, you know, one of the ideas of visiting holy places and coming to the temple. The kingdom of God is in this room. Uh, kingdom of God is certainly in Vrindavan and Mayapur and Puri. So yes, yes. And like you were saying, there's different moksha can um, can be used just like so many words, in, even in the English language, can be used in different ways. So, um, what is that verse? rupam vivastati. What's the first line? Muktir, muktir. That real liberation is devotional service. That, that, that's a statement in the Bhagavatam. But yes, we use the word mukti also to uh, indicate just liberation from suffering, right? Or, you know, really coming to understand we're not this body. And therefore, uh, when he became a devotee, was it Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, right? Who said, mukti pade sadaya bhak. He, he, uh, because this word mukti usually in general parlance means in personal liberation, right? Um, he said, oh, can we cross that out in the Bhagavatam, Muktir, uh, Mukti Pade Sadaya Bhak, and just put Bhakti Pade Sadaya Bhak in Lord Chaitanya? He said, no, no, you don't have to change the Bhagavatam. You just have to understand it properly, that this Mukti means in devotional service. But uh, yes, and, and, and for us as devotees, um, talk about relieving the world of suffering. So there's a lot of different organizations that do that. And we do, you know, our bit uh, by trying to distribute prasadam, right? I mean, and not, sometimes it's not in a small bit. Sometimes it's millions of plates per day in India, right? Um, however, probably the, and that's wonderful, because especially because it's prasadam. Additionally, our greatest gift that we can probably give the world is knowledge, is uh, you know, we don't, we don't have the billions and billions of dollars to, you know, transform a country maybe by feeding everyone. Even a million people a day is nothing in India. It's like dropping the bucket, right? Uh, but by giving people knowledge and inspiring people who can, who have, you know, governments or people who have the ways and means to do things on that level. Um, but that's our special gift. And therefore, Srila Prabhupada emphasized book distribution so much. So we'll move on. Text 14, uh, I, am, I think we go to 18 before we read a purport. I am separated from the Supreme Lord because of my being in this material body, which is made of five elements. And therefore, my qualities and senses are being misused, although I am essentially spiritual. Because, of the, because the Supreme Personality of Godhead is transcendental to material nature and the living entities, because he is devoid of such a material body, and because he is always glorious in his spiritual qualities, I offer my obeisances unto him. The human soul continues to pray. Remember, this is that fortunate soul, right? 
Remember we mentioned that? The living entity is put under the influence of material nature. That's the three modes. And adi atmic, adi bhotik, and adi divic miseries. And continues a hard struggle for existence on the path of repeated birth and death. This conditioned life is due to his forgetfulness of his relationship with the Supreme Personality of God. So that's, that's the point we were making, that the ultimate suffering is due to our forgetfulness. Therefore, without the Lord's mercy, how can he again engage in the transcendental loving service of the Lord? No one other than the Supreme Personality of Godhead, as the localized Paramatma, God in our heart, the partial representation of the Lord, is directing all inanimate and animate objects. He is present in the three phases of time, past, present, and future. Therefore, the conditioned soul is engaged in different activities by his direction. And in order to get free from the threefold miseries of this conditioned life, we have to surrender to him only. Fallen into a pool of blood, stool, and urine within the abdomen of, of his mother, his own body is scorched by the mother's gastric fire. The living, the embodied soul, anxious to get out, counts his months and prays, O oh my Lord, when shall I, a wretched soul, be released from this confinement? My dear Lord, by your causeless mercy, I am awakened to consciousness, although I am only ten months old. For this causeless mercy of the Supreme Personality of God, the friend of all fallen souls, there is no way to express my gratitude but to pray with folded hands. So this is, this is a very advanced soul. That when they're suffering, they express their gratitude. This is actually going to be one of the main topics of today's talk later. Um, so so he's, why is he grateful? Because he's being awakened to proper consciousness. Um, so just like uh, I have this one slide in today's class, uh, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Right? <laughs> so it's how we react to things. And so here this very, very pious advanced soul, you see how he or she is reacting um, and expressing gratitude. Mm. Now, I also wonder, I was thinking about this, that a, 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 devo a soul, just like one of our very nice devotees in the community, is, she is pregnant right now. So, uh, or, or what's often the case with devotees, they, the, the mother reads the Bhagavatam to the child uh, and tries to spend as much time as possible reading Shastra to the child in the womb. So one could say that, yes, you know, there, there may be some suffering. You're in this, obviously, physically, there's this confinement and all that stuff. But you're helping to reawaken the child's God consciousness, just like uh, would happen with Prahlad Maharaj, right? When he was in the womb of his mother and staying at the, which, who's Rishi? Which Rishis? Narada Muni, yes, yeah. So Prabhupada writes, as stated in the Bhagavad Gita, Intelligence, forgetfulness are both supplied by the supersoul sitting with the individual soul within the body. When he sees that a conditioned soul is very serious about getting out of the clutches of the material influence, the Supreme Lord gives intelligence internally as supersoul and externally as a spiritual master or as an incarnation of the personality of God in himself. He helps by speaking instructions such as Bhagavad Gita. The Lord is always 
seeking the opportunity to reclaim the fallen souls to his abode, the kingdom of God. We should always feel very much obliged to the personality of Godhead, for he is always anxious to bring us into the happy condition of eternal life. There is no sufficient means to repay the personality of Godhead for his act of, bene, ben, act of benediction. Therefore, we can simply feel gratitude and pray to the Lord with folded hands. This prayer of the child in the womb may be questioned by some atheistic... Well, first, let's go on to... So, this, I, this is... Uh, This consciousness that Srila Prabhupada is describing here in the purport and is being shown in the translation, it, it is the most wonderful consciousness. It is the consciousness that gets us out of this place. When George Harrison wrote that lyric, I hope to get out of this place by the Lord Sri Krishna's grace, my salvation from the material world. <laughs> so just this, this idea that, okay, we're going through difficulties we still remain in deep gratitude. And we have this understanding of Krishna that we can get, as it says here, from the Shastra, from the advanced devotees, not from our mind, because our mind would think the opposite, but that Krishna actually is always trying to help us. He's always, it says here, right, um, the, the, the Krishna gives intelligence uh, internally by the super soul, externally by the spiritual master. Uh, he's always seeking the opportunity to reclaim the conditioned soul. So that is a kind of consciousness of God that isn't cheap. Because, because for the other side of our mind and our uh, perverted intelligence is we're going through some difficulty why has God given me such a hard time? What did I do to deserve this? Right? Maybe there's no God. Right? So to think that as I'm going through this difficulty or these challenges or whatever, that Krishna is there, he's benedicting me, he's helping me, he's, he's always anxious to bring us into the happy condition of eternal life, as it says here. That is a special soul. And uh, even, even on a, this level... Um, you know, we have a choice. Viktor Frankl, he was uh, living in the concentration camps in, uh, in Germany or in Poland, one of the two places. And, and he saw how, and he, so many people, of course, were dying. A lot of it was also just because they'd given up. And he decided to not take up that mindset. He even actually made friends sometimes with the guards, things like that. Um, he obviously survived and went on to be a famous psychiatrist, I believe, certainly a famous author. He thought of, he came up with something called logotherapy, I believe it's called. But be that as it may, we have this choice, and this is basically our choice. Are we upset with God, or do we sh in, show great gratitude? So it's such a great practice, try to, every time we get up in the morning, remember what we're grateful for. Instead of, I've got to go to work, you know, is that you know it, it, we 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 really um, it's funny because we don't exactly have our cup half full, right? Because we have our half empty when we think of the material world, but we have it totally full when we think of Krishna's kindness. When you think of Krishna's grace, so this attitude of gratitude is 
a uh, and and when it's directed in in a Krishna conscious way, it's such a powerful um, state of mind to bring us closer to Krishna. It doesn't come cheap because really, fully grasping that consciousness, Tayabak, uh, 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 the Bhagavatam says that that. Basically, having that consciousness purchases our ticket back to Godhead. Jivaiti yo mukti pade Actually, it's the same verse that we were referring to earlier. That one, that one, automatically. You know, I think I gave the, the told you this. But the reference is that in traditional uh, Indian inheritancy, the oldest son automatically inherited everything from the father. There was no, there was no court case. You know, just it was automatic. So similarly, one who addresses, uh, adopts this consciousness automatically actually is already in the kingdom of God. Any thoughts on this? Yes, Mataji? And Andy is next. Did you ever hear? Yeah. yeah. Hare Krishna? Yes. So Prabhu, it seems like um, if all um, souls in the womb, it seems like they're so elevated and praying so beautifully, so they already have those sanskars. Uh, being in the mode of goodness, is that the right way to look at it? Um, if you remember last week, I said that I quoted Jiva Goswami as saying that it's a very rare soul that has this kind of prayer. So not all No, souls. not at all. Okay. okay. Not even close, according to Jiva Goswami. That helped me a lot because I had the same kind of thoughts you had. But then when I read this by Jiva Goswami, it made a lot more sense to me. Because like you said, you know, uh, we say, that whatever advancement you make can never be taken away. Right? So here it's kind of like, well, you're super advanced, then you get born and, ah! It's all, you know, everyone's going, get you, get you, and you forget everything. Right? And then, depending on the consciousness of the mother, the child also inherits, you know, like... Even if that rare soul has that consciousness, like how we are reading right now, yeah. and if the mother, however, has some different consciousness, not so high that or will elevated, affect, for sure. that if will the, affect the child. If the mother's li- listening to uh, whatever, you know, um, he- hard metal, uh, heavy metal music instead of uh, bhajans and reading the child, the Bhagavatam in the womb, <laughs> that'll, that'll affect. And then also if the mother, you know, Right, the mother, after the child is born, then the mother is the first guru. Right, so how the mother uh, takes care of the child uh, in loving way and also in a Krishna conscious way really affects the child. Those first five years are very, very important. Those are the years that uh, the child is fully dependent on his mother or her mother. Yeah, Andy. This is not really a question, but I just want to register something that. I have I have a problem with this idea of gratitude. Okay. As we find out later as the birth continues, um, your own body is, everything else is maya except your soul, right? So your own body is really your enemy, right? It's part of maya. And it immediately starts fighting you to suppress your soul, really. So this gratitude thing is very tricky. It's like happiness, you know, it's, yeah, great. But I mean, like people read affirmations and then you see them the next day or next week and they're plunged in the chaos <laughs> and anxiety, <laughs> right. right? So it's just hard for me to get a 
Well, okay, I wonder if this helps. Srila Prabhupada used to like to quote the saying, make the best use of a bad bargain. Right? Uh, so the bad bargain is any material body, right? Because there's birth, there's death, there's disease, and there's old age, and there's all the other stuff in between, <laughs> right? Relationships and all that stuff. Uh, and at the, on the other hand, the, the, the Shastra is not um, monolithic or monodimensional, right? It's, it, so you look at things, we look at things from different angles of vision. So although we have a material, it actually says this in the fifth canto, although the material body is temporary like the rest of bodies, this is uh, Rishabdev is preaching, right? Um, he says, but still it has that very special gift that we can ask, who am I, where, where have I come from, where am I going, what's the goal of life? You don't see cats and dogs having that kind of discussion, right? So, so yeah, so it's, 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 it's always looking at things, you know, from different points, at different times, we look at things from a different angle, in the, even from the Shastra. So yes, we, we are conscious that, yes, this, you know, so if we're really into enjoying this world, we should wait, wait a second. You know, the only thing you're sure of is death and taxes, right? In the outside world, they say that, right? Um, and okay, so I have this material body, oh, what a trip, and the aches, and the pains, and the relationships, and the disease, and the old age, and all this. And at the same time, I'm so fortunate, I'm so grateful because I have a human body and I can actually use it as a, uh, uh, it's, it's sometimes we gave that example, right, to take a thorn, to take out a thorn. So the, the thorn is material existence, the other thorn is a, mater- is a human body that can get rid of it. So, uh, and then we are, there's so many different levels in, in God consciousness and Christian. We could also be grateful for the air we breathe, take away the air. Right, we're finished with the food that we eat. Right, we're so we're so indebted to Mother Earth. Right, because without Mother Earth, we wouldn't have any clothes to wear, we wouldn't have any food to eat, we wouldn't have eyeglasses, we wouldn't have worst thing, we wouldn't have cell phones. Right? You know, right? Now, all these things come from the Earth. Right, everything. So we're so indebted to Mother Earth. So a devotee can. Simultaneously, um, understand the miserable nature of this world and be grateful that they've given this opportunity to get out. Is that all right? That, that's a good answer because it occurs to me that at least we have the opportunity. Microphone. Yeah, it was a very good answer for me because you have to remember at least we have the opportunity being made human. We, at least we have a chance now. Yeah. So that's a big uh, plus. It's a big yeah. plus. It's a big plus. Yeah. Yeah, so we should really, um, one thing, you know, one small way is even being grateful to, I mean, take care of Mother Earth as much as we can in our own little ways, because she really, we'd be lost without her. Jeeva, were you going to say something? I thought, I thought you were, had your hand up. If it doesn't work, it's your fault. <laughs> I'm the one blocked myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. And at the same time, as you already expressed, like, you know, in the prayers, it's also given when we are engaged in devotional service, we're already in the spiritual realm. And we are completely oblivious to all the suffering that's going on. And Srila Prabhupada used to give that example of the arrow maker. The arrow maker. Yeah, so it's in, I think, 11th Canto. Yeah, 11th Canto. Not the Tatriya, he's referring to that. That we are so absorbed that we don't 
really pay attention to the material condition. Srila Prabhupada was a perfect example yeah. where, you know, when he was at the uh, Radha Damodha temple in Vrindavan, once devotees found that, you know, his back tooth had come out, but he, they never saw him complain. He, they found him it under yeah. his pillow. But, you know, the devotee never saw Srila Prabhupada complaining his leg had got an infection, but Prabhupada, you know, and it had actually gone worse. So afterwards, of course, they applied some turmeric with mustard oil and all that stuff to calm it down. But Prabhupada never showed that in his walk. He didn't even limp. He, was, he had that majestic walk all the time because he was completely in the transcendental world. Yeah, Krishna, so. yes. The, devote, the consciousness of one absorbed in Krishna consciousness doesn't mean that their body doesn't suffer, but they're, uh, again, it's yes. that quote that I just said, right? That pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Yes, so coming to that point. Right. <laughs> okay, let's, let's uh, move on. So we're finally getting into this week's readings. The living entity in another type of body sees only by instinct. He knows only the agreeable and disagreeable sense perception of that particular body. But I have a body in which I can control my senses, this is a human body, and can understand my destination. Therefore, I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead, by whom I have been blessed with this body, and by whose grace I can see him within and without. And the purport a couple of points right in the beginning. The evolutionary process of different types. I like. I just thought this was a very interesting analogy. <clears throat> the evolutionary process of different types of bodies is something like a fructifying flower. Just as there are different stages in the growth of a flower: the bud stage, the blooming stage, and the full-fledged, grown-up stage of aroma and beauty. Similarly, there are eight million four hundred thousand species of bodies in gradual evolution. And there is a systematic progress from the lower species of life to the higher. The human form of life is supposed to be the highest for it offers consciousness for getting out of the clutches of birth and death. So I just, I just highlighted that because I, I thought the analogy was pretty cool. I'd never uh, remembered that before, reading that, that of a blossoming flower. And then the beginning of the second paragraph, the word dhamma shariri means that we have a body in which we can control the senses and the mind. The complication of material life is due to the, an uncontrolled mind and uncontrolled senses. Would you agree with that statement? One should feel grateful, there's that word again, to the Supreme Personality of God for having obtained such a nice human form of body and one should properly utilize it. The distinction between an animal and a man is that the animal cannot control himself and has no sense of decency. Whereas a human being has a sense of decency and can control himself. If this controlling power is not exhibited by the human being, then he is no better than an animal. So even on just the stand, you know, the basic level, the sense of decency, right? We don't we don't walk around we, without clothes on. We you know we, we clothe ourselves. We 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 try to behave in a respectful way to people. That sense of decency that isn't uh, necessarily there in lower species. Text 20. Therefore, my Lord, although I am living in a terrible condition, I do not wish to depart from my mother's abdomen to fall again into the blind well of materialistic life. 
Your external energy, called Deva Maya, at once captures the newly born child and immediately false identification an immediately false identification, which is the beginning of the cycle of conditioned birth and death, begins. So we talked about that last week, right? That when so we're in the womb, we don't even know whose womb we're in, right? We don't know what what country we're gonna get born into or this or that, right? But then we come out and all these upadis, these designations just descend upon us. This is your mother. This is your father. This is the country of your birth. This is the uh, the caste that you're born into. This is the social economic uh, background that you have. Your gender. All these things. Boom, 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 boom. Right. You just get bombarded with these upadis. So that's why. So and the conditioned soul when they're a child is like a sponge, just soaking things up. So that's why it's so helpful to, uh, as uh, Anantarupa Matsuji was saying, um, that to be a good mother, a good father, and have them soak up Krishna consciousness when they're young, and think of themselves primarily as uh, members of the Achuta Gotra, right? that their family is that of Krishna's family. Right? Like that. Um, Therefore, without being agitated anymore, I shall deliver myself from the darkness of nescience with the help of my friend, clear consciousness. That's an interesting friend. Simply by keeping the lotus feet of Lord Vishnu in my mind, I shall, I shall be saved from entering into the wombs of many mothers for repeated birth and death. And the purport in the beginning, Prabhupada says, the miseries of material existence begin from the very day when the spirit soul takes shelter of the ovum and sperm of the mother and father, they continue after he is born from the womb and they are further prolonged. We do not know where the suffering ends. So that's the good news. <laughs> right, there's, there's just always uh, one thing of suffering or another. In the beginning of the next paragraph, the child prays that it is better to remain within the womb of, dark, of darkness and be constantly absorbed in Krishna consciousness than to get out and again fall a victim to the illusory energy. The illusory energy acts within the abdomen as well as outside the abdomen, but the trick is that one should remain Krishna conscious, and then the effects of a horrible condition cannot act favorably upon him. So this is, this is the point, not inside the womb, outside the womb, the, this, that. It's anukulyasya sankalpa pratikulyasya varjanam, to accept things favorable to our Krishna consciousness, and to reject things unfavorable. Um, so in this case, he's thinking it's going to be more favorable to stay in the womb. Who, who had that mindset? Sukadeva Goswami, right? Um, long time. <laughs> but, the, uh, but the point is to be in a, a place, in a mindset favorable to our Krishna consciousness. That's the point, not inside the womb, outside the womb, old, young, whatever. Um, and therefore, the illusory energy acts within the abdomen as well as outside the abdomen, but the trick is that one should remain Krishna conscious. So that's the trick, if we want to use it in that sense. Yeah. Any thoughts? Oh, wait a it may be questioned in the last paragraph how the child can be fully Krishna conscious within the womb of mother without any 
paraphernalia with which to execute Krishna consciousness. Well, this is a very important point. It is not necessary to arrange for paraphernalia to worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead Vishnu. The child wants to remain within the womb of his mother and at the same time wants to become free from the clutches of Maya. One does not need any material arrangement to cultivate Krishna consciousness. One can cultivate Krishna consciousness anywhere and everywhere, provided he can always think of Krishna. The Maha Mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, can be chanted even within the womb of one's mother. One can chant while sleeping. You good at that? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> while working, while imprisoned in the womb, or out, or out, or while outside, this Krishna consciousness cannot be checked by any circumstance. The conclusion of the child's prayer is: Let me remain in this condition, although it is very miserable. It is better not to fall victim to maya again by going outside. So the idea that a haituki apratiyata yatma supersedati, that um, there is no uh, external things ultimately that can block the, our desire to be Krishna conscious. There are situations that are favorable and unfavorable, like good association, like being in a place in the mode of goodness. So many things that we talk about throughout this uh, class. But at the same time, nothing ultimately can stop us if we have a strong enough desire. We can remember Krishna, and we can chant his name. So even if you can't chant while you're sleeping, uh, but I've tried this recently. I tried um, playing some uh, books on tape while I'm taking rest, just lightly, and I just hear, you know, right now I'm Chaitanya Charitamrita. I'm testing that out to see if I wake up thinking of the Lord's pastimes. Uh, <laughs> but, we can, um, but it's a very important point that ultimately we can't say, oh, you know, I don't have any, you know, I'm living in this place, I'm living in that place. It, it's harder, some places are harder, some places are easier, but there's no place that's impossible. And sometimes the Lord even puts us in, you know, based on our karma or the Lord's desire, we're in a difficult situation but we can still do it, right? I, was, when I, rem I just remember I was becoming a devotee and I was living in the dormitory in college and that wasn't exactly the most pious place in the three worlds, <laughs> right? Uh, everyone's drinking and all kinds of stuff. Um, but, you know, it didn't stop me from getting up. I was getting up when they were all going to sleep, basically. <laughs> You know, I was get up at four, four thirty, and they'd be all kind of dragging themselves to sleep. Um, and I could still chant. I could still, you know, uh, or even the uh, the brahmana who was so poor that he couldn't cook anything for the Lord. So in his mind, he made uh, kheer. He made sweet rice for the Lord, like that. So we can also, um, if we miss a Sunday or something, we can in our minds think about going to the RT in the class, or we can listen to the class on internet, and we could offer a huge, wonderful feast to the Lord. Even if you're in jail, you can be, a matter of fact, many people have found being in jail pretty good for Krishna consciousness. <laughs> so any, any thoughts on, we've covered a few things the last few verses. 
Okay? Then we'll continue, as Lord Kapila will continue. The 10-month-old living entity, now we usually say nine months, right? But if you, if you add the fact that most of the months are 28 days in, because um, uh, they use the lunar calendar, it comes out to almost the same. Yeah. The 10-month-old living entity has these desires even while in the womb, but while he thus extols the Lord, the wind that helps let me look at that word. Uh, part turition propels him forth with his face turned downward so that he may be born. Pushed downward all of a sudden by the wind, the child comes out with great trouble, head downward, breathless, and deprived of memory due to severe agony. You know, kids, kids don't usually come out saying, hey, hardball, Right? They're crying and things. My son had the umbilical cord around his neck. He was, like, he was suffocating. The, in Bhagavad Prabhupada writes, In Bhagavad Gita, the Lord points out that a person who is serious about advancement in spiritual consciousness should always consider the four pangs of birth, death, disease, and old age. The materialist advances, the materialistic, materialist advances in many ways but he is unable to stop these four principles of suffering inherent in material existence. So, you know, there are advancements. So it's nice that the Prabhupada has recognized there are advancements, right? Uh, there are, like, you know, I've mentioned this before, when I had my open heart surgery, it was much easier than when my father had it 40 years earlier, right? Uh, there are advances in um, dealing with certain diseases and, and certainly, you know, things like this, it's, you know, 30 years ago would have been totally inconceivable that right now I could go on WhatsApp and call anybody in India for free, right? That would have, you know, you used to have to book a trunk, a trump, a trunk call, at least when you were in India, you know, and then you'd have to yell into the thing and get disconnected and all that stuff. And, yeah, and that wasn't even that. I remember 1991 living in Vrindavan, there was one phone in the whole town that could call internationally. Right? So there are advancements, but has anyone yet been able to stop birth, death, disease, and old age? And, the, and the, yes, and the con yeah, because these can cause a lot of suffering, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. What's that? The added taxes? Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's that too. Right? This is bad for the earth also. Yeah, there's all kinds of, yes. But it's, but it... Wait, you need a microphone. Yeah. You have to repeat what you said. The materials that you use on those electronic things, they are bad for the earth and causes suffering for a lot of people in Africa and Brazil. Yes. Yes, and then social that, media causes all kinds of suffering. It, and there are the causes too. There yeah. are so many uh, bad consequences. Right. So we could use these things in Krishna's service, um, but we we should be smart enough to understand they don't mitigate the basic or even the not so basic sufferings of this world. Right. Because now you can break up with somebody just by texting them. <laughs> right, it's easy, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yes, so it's good to, so Prabhupada is saying there are advances, he's not saying there's no advances, 
And he's saying, but do they really take care of things? And the answer is no. The child thus falls on the ground, smeared with stool and blood, and plays just like a worm germinating uh, from the stool. Now, of course, not every child is like this. You know, in the hospitals and the good parents, the child is cleaned up, right? Uh, matter of fact, in other places, it's in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, I believe. There's a whole nice, although you see, there's a special, just like we were talking to Andy earlier, there's a special angle in this chapter. Right? There's a special emphasis about the nature of suffering, the nature of this world, birth, death, disease, and old age. And there's other places where birth of a child in the Vedic times is a point of celebration. Here it's a point, oh my God, you know, it's like, who, wants to get, who wants to have a child after this? But there's also, um, in the Prabhupada talks about some of the sanskaras. Uh, I can't remember the exact details, but um, he talks about, I think, uh, Vermilion and turmeric and different things are put on the child to or auspiciousness and and the child is cleaned up and bathed very nicely and all this and it probably says something like in the West they just give them some antiseptic and finished you know but he was he was just trying to show that there's a nice ceremonies involved in the in the birth of a child and then the name giving of a child and their first grains. You know, so there, there's auspiciousness also. But here, this chapter is emphasizing something different. Um, he loses his superior knowledge and cries under the spell of Maya. After coming out of the abdomen, the child is given to the care of persons who are unable to understand what he wants, and thus he is nursed by such persons. Unable to refuse whatever is given to him, he falls into an undesirable condition. I mean, we know that, right? I mean, that's just... We do our best when a child is crying, right, to, you know, maybe give them mother's milk or give them a toy to play with and this and that, but they can't communicate. No, I don't want that milk. <laughs> you know, give me a toy. You, you know, it's too hot. It's too cold. They can't communicate that when they're babies. And so sometimes you just, you get the opposite of what you actually want, right? Yeah. Reminds me of... Uh, you know, going to certain places, not so much in India, because almost most people speak enough English, but I remember especially going to places like China and, you know, trying to tell a taxi driver where I want to go. And it's just impossible sometimes, you know, no, no, it's not. <laughs> try to show a map or, you know, or something or, you know, or, tell, or even going to, like, we would go to um, the one place in China you can get pure veg is uh, the Buddhist temples, Right? But, so, but going to other places and just trying, is this vegetarian? And then just having to walk out because you don't know for sure if it is or not, right? So I can, you can experience that a little even as an adult, what to speak as a child. Laid down on a fool bed, infested, a foul bed, fool uh, bed. Now again, good parents would try to avoid this, right? Um, infested with sweat and germs, the poor child is incapable of scratching his body to get relief from his itching sensation to say nothing of sitting up, standing, or even moving. And of course, that can happen even the, in the most clean situations. You get itches and things. and you, It's just tough to be a kid. But then it's even harder to be a teenager. <laughs> right? So it's like really hard. Everything's really tough. Uh, in his helpless condition, uh, gnats, mosquitoes, bugs, and other germs bite the baby whose skin is tender. And... Just as smaller worms bite a big worm, 
The child, deprived of his wisdom, cries bitterly. In this way, the child passes through his childhood, suffering different kinds of distress and attains boyhood. In boyhood older, also, he suffers pain over desires to get things he can never achieve. And thus, due to ignorance, he becomes angry and sorry. With the growth of the body, the living entity... There's a suffering soul. The living entity, in order to vanquish his soul, um, increases his false prestige and anger, and thereby creates enmity towards similarly lusty people. Um, and then I, I just thought, you know, whenever there's a... I've been told this, that whenever you find italics in Srila Prabhupada's purports, that in the original they were underlined. So I just thought it's important. If I, whenever I see that, that must mean Prabhupada thought it was important, so I should emphasize. So in the purport, there's just this statement, but the same lust can be transformed in a purified way so that, and in italics, we want everything for the satisfaction of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So the same, uh, I want, I want, I want, I want, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, right? can be transformed into just, I want, I want, I want to serve Krishna, I want to satisfy Krishna, I want this, I may even want this material thing for Krishna's pleasure. Right? We want this new temple for Krishna's pleasure. Right? So, that, so this lust is, it's not just getting rid of it, it's transforming it. Transforming it. Okay, text 30. By such ignorance, the living entity accepts the material body, which is made of five elements. What are those five elements? Earth, water, fire, air, ether, yeah. Uh, as himself. With this misunderstanding, he accepts non-permanent things as his own and increases his ignorance in the darkest region. For the sake of the body, which is a source of constant trouble to him and which follows him because he is bound by ties of ignorance and fruit of activities, he performs various activities which cause him to be subjected to repeated birth and death. And in the purport, Prabhupada, second paragraph, in modern civilization, the so-called social, national, and government leaders mislead people more and more under the bodily conception of life with the result that all leaders, with their followers, are gliding down to hellish conditions, birth after birth. Like, what can, what is a even a good politician? What can they, what do they generally promise the voters? Okay, but be more specific, more enjoyment and happiness. Too, too general. Better living conditions, right? Yeah, you're going to have a bigger house, economic growth. What's that? Better food. Schools, yes, better schools, right? Better schools, right? So if you, if, if you analyze them, you know, they don't necessarily help the soul, right? Even greater economic development, usually that comes, of course, whether they can provide that or not is a whole nother thing. But just the promise of it is, is very much kind of still in the bodily concept of life. Schools, okay, that can be good, of course, if the schools, you know, Amarka and what's his name? So, yeah, you know, <laughs> the schools that just teach you your, your body, that doesn't really help much, right? But the, the, um, because they're in the bodily concept of life, and their sub subjects are in the bodily concept of life, the promises are still in the bodily concept of life. 
And so by the Bhagavatam standards, they're not real leaders. Now, of course, you know, you could you could maybe argue that, you know, for example, because uh, one of the chatriya means to hurt, to protect. Right? So promising, you know, more military or something like that. Um, you could say, maybe, although one could argue that having more military doesn't necessarily mean more protection. And maybe having more diplomacy creates more protection, right? Or not being such jerks means that other countries don't hate us so much, <laughs> right? You know, there, there's different ways you could look at it. So, when a blind man leads several other blind men, the result is that all of them fall down in a ditch. This is actually happening. There are more, many leaders in, um, to lead the ignorant people, but because every one of them is bewildered by the bodily concept of life, there is no peace and prosperity in human society. So really, you know, it's the blind leading the blind. If, therefore, the living entity again associates with the path of unrighteousness, Influenced by sensually minded people engaged in the pursuit of sexual enjoyment and the gratification of the palate, he again goes to hell as before. He becomes devoid of truthfulness, cleanliness, mercy, gravity, spiritual intelligence, shyness, auster wow, austerity, fame, forgiveness, control of the mind, control of the senses, fortune, and all such opportunities. Wow. One should not associate with a coarse fool who is bereft of the knowledge of self-realization and who is no more than a dancing dog in the hands of a woman. The infatuation and bondage which accrue uh, to a man from attachment to any other object is not as complete as that resulting from the attachment of a woman or the fellowship of men who are fond of women. At the sight of his own daughter, Brahma was bewildered by her charms and shamelessly ran after her in the form of a stag when she took the form of a... Hint? Hind? Prabhupada writes, Therefore, everyone is advised that one should not freely mix even with one's own daughter or with one's mother or one's sister because the senses are so strong that when one becomes infatuated, the senses do not consider the relationship of daughter, mother, or sister. It is best, therefore, to practice controlling the senses by performing bhakti yoga, engaging in the service of Madan Mohan, Krishna's name is Madan Mohan, for he can subdue the god Cupid or lust. Only by engaging in the service of Madan Mohan can one cure, curb the dictates of Madan, Cupid. Otherwise, attempts to control the senses will fall. So, when you think of people who are really gross and coarse, not the kind of people that come to our temple, right, but just really, you know, they're people just, it just, you know, their whole consciousness is to just gaze and be attracted to uh, other material bodies and to want to exploit that and to talk amongst their friends about it. And it's just this very low, low consciousness that's being uh, discussed here, right? I mean, generally, of course, one doesn't lust after one's sister, daughter, or, or, or mother. That, but the, the, the Shastra is, is saying this just to show just how in bad association with the wrong kind of people, one can get even that degraded. So, and, but the, the beauty is really the next sentence, that how do you control your senses? You engage in serving Radha Madan Mohan.
And that's the way to control the senses. It's really hard to even just be a good person in this world right now, outside of being a spiritually minded person. So that's, so it is best, therefore, to practice controlling the senses by performing bhakti yoga, engaging in the service of Madan Mohan. So this, um, um, well, we'll continue, but this, these points about the attraction between men and women, um, well, let's continue because there's some things in the purport that Prabhupada will put it in the right context for us. Among all living uh, all kinds of living entities begotten by Brahma, namely men, demigods, and animals, none but the sage Narayana is immune from the attraction of Maya in the form of women. And in other places, actually even in this chapter, he says for, uh, in this context, for men, woman is woman, and for woman, man is woman. Right? And of course now with uh, s- s- many people being um, coming out as gay, lesbian, Transgender, queer, and what's the other one? Did I miss one? Did I cover them all? L, now it's LBGBQ, right? Yeah, so lesbian, gay. I, you know, I'm not even going to go there how that applies. Well, the point is attracted to other bodies, <laughs> whatever it is, right? Um, just try to understand the mighty strength of my Maya in the shape of women. So this Bodily attraction to another body is one of the strongest forms of Maya in this world, who by the mere movement of her eyebrows can keep even the great conquerors of the world under her grip. And Prabhupada writes that there are many instances in the history of the world of great conquerors being captivated by the charms of a Cleopatra. Isn't it? Right? Who was um, Queen Elizabeth's uncle? He was a king for like a few months, right? What was his name? Was he Edward? Yeah, he abdicated. Why? Cleopatra. (laughs) He he wanted to marry uh, an American woman who was a divorcee. And funny that because now, yesterday, there was they married a divorcee. But you know the times have changed. But the point being that you know he was a king of the British Empire in the. 30s, you know, the, the sun didn't set on the British Empire, right? India was still uh, part, of, part of the British Empire, and um, I think they said a fourth of the world's population. So he was one of the, probably the strong, the most powerful man in the world, but because of one uh, young lady in, uh, in America, he gave, he, you know, he gave it all up, right? So it's an example uh, here of... Uh, of that, when one, when when he this is in the purport when he wants to be attracted by a woman he has to create oh so this is this is really interesting so this is what we're talking about Krishna now okay and Prabhupada writes when he wants to be attracted by a woman he has to create such a woman from his own energy that woman is Radharani it is explained by the Goswamis that Radharani is the manifestation of the pleasure potency of the supreme personality of Godhead. When the Supreme Lord wants to derive transcendental pleasure, he has to create a woman from his internal potency. Thus, the tendency to be attracted by womanly beauty is natural because it exists in the spiritual world. In the material world, it is reflected pervertedly, and therefore there are so many inebriates. 
Instead of being attracted by material beauty, if one is accustomed to being attracted by the beauty of Radharani and Krishna, then the statement of Bhagavad Gita, Param higher, which means higher taste, holds true. So Krishna um, is just as a pure loving relationship. There's no exploitation mood in his relationship with Radharani. And Radharani similarly has just pure love for Krishna. So when we develop our attraction for Radha and Krishna, uh, we will get this higher taste and we won't be, even Prabhupada talks about it so strongly, the abominable, using, sometimes he even calls it abominable, the attraction in this world. And if you think about that in context of how wonderful our attraction can be to Radha and Krishna, it makes total sense. So it's, uh, uh, now, I think it comes up later, but uh, maybe I'll bring it up now. How does this relate to us as devotees? Because most devotees are uh, are married, uh, at least in our country, in our temple. So does that mean we should like you know tell our spouse to take a different car home, <laughs> right? And maybe you know build a little uh, hut in the back of the house and you live there, <laughs> you know, or whatever. I'll live there, or or whatever. No, the. Um, <coughs> The Grihasta Ashram is an ashram, a place of spiritual advancement. Um, but the the and it's 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 not an easy consciousness to adopt. But one actually it does come up later. But I'll say it now that one doesn't have to. Uh, um, the this attraction becomes weakened if both husband and wife see each other as Vaishnavas and Vaishnavis, as servants of Krishna, and together they cooperate to serve. Krishna. It's a, uh, it's a love triangle in the most proper sense of the word, <laughs> right? Where uh, the uh, first and foremost, uh, the husband doesn't see the wife as woman, but sees the wife as Vaishnavi, as a servant of God. And similarly, so that, so that the, the uh, it's kind of like uh, the example sometimes given of a snake that has its fangs removed. So you have this situation, which can be very tricky and keep us in this material world, uh, man-woman relationship. But when it's based on bhakti yoga, when it's based on, on devotion to Krishna, then it's very wonderful. They, they serve Krishna together. They beget Krishna-conscious children. They serve the Vaishnavas. It's actually not only wonderful, it's very powerful because most people in this world have this kind of attraction that we're reading about. And so if they can see an example of men and women working together, but not with an exploitive view, but with a devotional view, they, they think, well, gosh, they can do it. Maybe I can do that also. And in some ways, sometimes Grihastas can be uh, uh, more effective preachers than renunciates in that sense, because it's very, most people look at a renunciate and say, well, I can't do that. Right? But most people look at a Grihastas and say, oh, I could do that. So it's very powerful what we can do. So um, the, this, the points here, we can look at it in a, with a Krishna conscious angle. Okay. And also a warning. One who aspires to reach the culmination of yoga and has realized his self by rendering service unto me should never associate with an attractive woman. For such a woman is declared in the scriptures to be the gateway to hell for the advancing devotee. Again, if you're attracted 
to other bodies rather than attracted to Krishna. Whether it's a handsome man, attractive woman, whatever. Remember, it, both, it works both ways. The woman created by the Lord is a representation of maya, and one who associates with such maya by accepting services must certainly know that this is a way of death, just like the blind well covered with grass. These are very light verses. <laughs> a living entity who, as a result of attachment to a woman in his previous life, has been endowed with a form of a woman, foolishly looks upon maya in the form of a man or husband as the bestower of wealth, progeny, house, and other material assets. So if you're too attracted to a woman in this life, you become a woman in your next life. And if you're too attracted to men, you, so, yeah, so things just, you know, it's just a mess. The material world's a mess. So again, the idea of service, if, if it's true that, you see, the whole idea is that anything that we're attached to in this world keeps us in this world. Right? That's the point. Um, uh, so even, even, let's say, in a traditional marriage, right? Let's say the woman is serving the husband. Okay, so the man can just be so attracted that this is just the best thing since sliced bread, right? To, you know, and it just becomes so attached. You get attached to one who serves. So the wife, so again, in the traditional context, the, the man is providing wealth, progeny, house, material assets, so there's an attachment there. And the wife is a t uh, food and sense gratification. There's an attachment there, right? So it's so it keeps us in the material world. But it's it's in one sense it's so nice as devotees because all we have to do is uh, is the wife is serving the husband because the husband's a devotee and therefore they're also serving God in that way, and they're both serving Krishna together. And the husband's providing for the wife as seeing as a servant of as. You know, I mean, I can say that in my own life. So I have a, a day job, right? And my wife, you know, gets a little maintenance from the temple, but basically is doing it as service. And part of I, part of what I think is, I'm ser I get to serve the temple. I'm serving someone who's a temple president and is doing this full time service for the Lord. So I, I make that connection in, uh, in you know, when I, you know, with my the check that I get every two weeks and stuff. I try to make that connection. So. We can Krishnaize these things. That's my point. But at the same time, we shouldn't be, you know, shy to say that that these verses they're not they're not not true. <laughs> the entanglement is is very much right, and one is attracted. Let's just face it: the the attraction, the the sex attraction, is stronger than usually our attraction for our favorite sports team, or our favorite music, or whatever. It's 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 one of the uh, it's one of the shackle. It's one of the um, uh, shackles that keep us in this world. But what's so cool about it, and what's so powerful about it, is that like when you're in prison, you actually have the bars there. But these bars are invisible, but they're even stronger than the prison bars. In purport, in the Hindu scriptures, therefore, woman's chastity and devotion to man is generally is greatly emphasized. A woman's attachment to her husband may elevate her to the body of a, a man in her next life, but a man's attachment to a woman will degrade him in his next life. Uh, he will get the body of a woman. So it sounds like Prabhupada's saying one's more elevated than the other. They have to keep reading on. 
we should always remember, as it is stated in Bhagavad Gita, that both the gross and subtle material bodies are dresses. They are the shirt and coat of the living entity. To be either a woman or a man only involves one's bodily dress. The soul in nature is actually the marginal energy of the Supreme Lord. So on the spiritual level, all souls are equal. There may be some advantages and disadvantages, this body and that body. Guys don't have to have a child hanging out in their womb for 10 months and all that stuff. You know, there's different, there's different, but it's not that they're both gross and subtle material bodies are dresses. And vasamshi jirnani yatavi haya nirvani, what does that go? As a person puts on old garments, uh, uh, puts on new garments, giving up the old and useless ones, so the soul accepts material a new material body, giving up the old and useless ones. So it's a dress for this life. Uh, but we, so therefore, we shouldn't even get you know, too gender identified in some ways. We have our, our swadharmas, but we're neither man nor woman. Where Krishna is part and parcel, like that. So, so one should always remember, as stated in Bhagavad Gita, that both gross and subtle bodies are dresses. They are the shirt and coat of the living entity. Okay, how are we doing time-wise? Well, we actually might almost finish this chapter. A woman, therefore, should consider her husband, her house, and her children to be the arrangement of the external energy of the Lord for her death. Can you imagine if most people come home at night saying, oh, death, death, death. Just as the sweet singing of the hunter is the death of the deer. And then look at the, again, look at the sentence at the end. Very important for us. But if the attachment is transferred to Krishna, both of them, husband and wife, become Krishna conscious, and then marriage is very nice. Otherwise, the, a regular person's house is sometimes compared to like a snake hole. Right? In the Bhagavatam. Right? It's just, you know, you, you, just get, you get so entangled in it. Right? Um, and attached to it. But if the marriage is Krishna conscious, then it is very nice. So we should make our relationships with our spouses very nice. Due to his particular type of body, the materialistic living entity wanders from one planet to another. See, again, the, the context of this, one, it's very important. Otherwise, you, get, you just see the, the trees. You don't see the forest. The forest is that we're spirit souls. We're not this body. We don't, this is not our home. And we're just going to, and if we stay in this material world, we just wander from one planet to another following fruit of activities. And so this chapter is just emphasizing one of the big traps. And so in that way, you don't, one doesn't get all, you know, if we have that bigger context, because uh, uh, who was uh, actually one of the, Prabhuji was telling me, when, when I, what did the Madhajis think when they read this chapter? He was saying to me, uh, he drove me from the airport the other day. <laughs> well, they might, you know, if we, if, as Prabhupada, what did Prabhupada once say to uh, he said something to a woman devotee, something to the effect that, well, yes, that would be, that would be wrong if you think you're a woman. <laughs> right? So the bigger context puts this in, in that context. And of course, it's the, 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 we know that we also have to know from the other Shastra about 
other parts of the Shastra how to treat, you know, uh, one should treat members of the opposite sect with great, for example, with great respect, right? And especially, especially uh, women, old men, uh, who are the other ones? Children. Um, they should all be taken fully care of and treated with the utmost respect. Um, but again, this, the context of this is this is Kapila really trying to slap us on the wake up. Right? In this way, he involves himself in fruitive activities and enjoys the results incessantly. In this way, the living entity gets a suitable body with a material mind and senses according to his fruitive activities. When the reaction of his particular activity comes to an end, that end is called death. And when a particular type of reaction begins, that beginning is called birth. When the, when the eyes lose their power to see color or form due to morbid affliction of the optic nerve, the sense of sight becomes deadened. The living entity who is a seer of both the eyes and the sight loses his power of vision. In the same way, when the physical body, the place where perception of objects occurs, is rendered incapable of perceiving, that is known as death. When one begins to view the physical body as one's very self, that is called birth. So, um, okay, therefore, one should not view death with horror. Interesting, huh? Nor have, rec nor have recourse to defining the body as soul, nor give way to exaggeration in, in enjoying the bodily necessities of life. Realizing the true nature of the living entity, one should move about in the world free from attachment and steadfast in purpose. And that's kind of what the goal of this chapter is, to focus us on the purpose of life. Purport in the beginning, a sane person who has understood the philosophy of life and death is very upset upon hearing of the horrible hellish condition of life in the womb of the mother or outside of the mother. But one has to make a solution to the problem of life. That's the point of this chapter, this, that sentence. One has to make a solution to the problems of life. A sane man should understand the miserable conditions of this material body without being unnecessarily upset. He should try to find out if there is a remedy. Isn't that nice? Without being unnecessary. Okay, so the yeah, material world, oh my God, I'm going to get old, I'm going to get diseased, I'm going to die. Oh, without getting unnecessarily upset, upset, is there a way out? And then when you find out the way out is so nice, it's Radha and Krishna, it's prashadam, it's singing, it's dancing, it's, it's association. It's, then you think, wow, that's great. Not only do I not have to suffer, the way out is so nice. And then, let's see how we're doing time-wise. Oh, we're good. We're going to finish this chapter. Last paragraph. Listen to this carefully. While discharging devotional service in full Krishna consciousness, one should not be miserly. He should not unnecessarily show that he has renounced this world. Isn't that interesting? Actually, renunciation is not possible. If one renounces his palatial building and goes to a forest, there is actually no renunciation. 
for the palatial building is the property of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and the forest is also the property of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Right? If he changes from one property to another, that does not mean that he renounces. He has ne- he has he was never the proprietor of either the palace or the forest. Generally speaking, maybe not in India so much, but in, in America, will your house remain standing after you pass away? Yeah, in India, they fall apart after. My, my, I have a place in Vrindavan that's constantly falling apart, but that's another thing. <laughs> um, construction is not so great in Vrindavan. Um, but anyway, uh, yes, so we come into this Jai Sisi Gornitai, Sita Ram Lakshman Hanuman, Shishi Radha Madamahan. So we come into this world with nothing and we leave the world with nothing. And in the middle we think we, so many things are mine. Renunciation necessitates renouncing the false understanding that one can lord it over material nature. That's renunciation. When one renounces this false attitude and renounces the puffed up position that he is also God, that is real renunciation. Otherwise, there's no meaning to renunciation. Rupa Goswami advises that if one renounces anything which could be applied in the service of the Lord and does not use it for that purpose, that is called faugurai ragya, insufficient or false renunciation. Everything belongs to the Supreme Personality of God, therefore everything can be engaged in the service of the Lord. Nothing should be used for one's sense gratification. That is real renunciation. Nor should one unnecessarily increase the necessities of the body. We should be satisfied with whatever is offered and supplied by Krishna without much personal endeavor. We should spend our time executing devotional service and Krishna consciousness. That is the solution to the problem of life and death. So that's real renunciation. You know, Srila Prabhupada gave that example so many times, right? Of, uh, I mean, that we've spoke, spoke about if. There was a picture of a yogi in the newspaper being stacks of rupees and him, the yogi putting his hand behind his back, not taking them. And Srila Prabhupada said, you can take a picture of me going like this and taking them all and then using them all for Krishna's service. So we have our basic renunciation of uh, uh, the four regulated principles of human life, Prabhupada would say, of uh, no meat, fish, or eggs, no intoxication, no gambling, and no uh, sex, no illicit sex. Um, that one who takes vows uh, promises to follow. But one can, live in a palat- one can live in a palatial house and be very renounced, and one can live in a hut and be very attached. <laughs> uh, the Prabhupada would quote that, the pauper is proud of his penny, or his rupee, or his shilling or whatever we can we can be you know so we if we have it we may have a big house and use it in Krishna's service and invite many people over you know the the uh it's it's not so much the externals um it's it's the consciousness anashaktasya vishaya nyartaham upayunjita nirbandha krishna sambande yuktam vairagya uchite that real vairagya real renunciation is seeing everything connected with Krishna that's kind of the Purport of the purport here. Yes, Mataji. Did the 
uh, when you started the class, the, I think the first few verses you explained us about repentance. I mean, it was talking about repentance. When repentance, yes. Has a real repentance, and that's when they really work towards, you know, discharging devotional service. Yes. Towards uh, Supreme Lord. Uh -huh. And now we are talking about renunciation. So I was thinking, repentance to renunciation to you know, being uh, in service with sincere, with sincerity. That's, I mean, like the process, one of the ways the process goes on is at some point, one is having some kind of repentance of what they had been doing, having this material body. Yes. And then to make so, the yes, best use of yeah. bargain like Prabhupada yeah. says. You're right, there's a connection there between the repentance that we were talking about on the existential level and then the renunciation because both involve remembering Krishna and seeing things in connection with Krishna. Seeing our existence in connection with Krishna in, in repentance and seeing everything of this world in connection with Krishna in renunciation. So let's, do the, let's read the last verse of this chapter and believe it, we actually finished a chapter on time. It's amazing. Endowed with right vision and strengthened by devotional service and a pessimistic attitude towards material identity, one should regulate his body to this illusory world through his reason. Thus, one can be unconcerned with this material world. So no class next week. It's Memorial Day weekend. I'm going to be in Toronto, and some of you are going hither and thither to all kinds of festivities. And then the next week there is class. Okay? So have a very nice uh, week in Krishna consciousness. And uh, if you're going away for Memorial Day, haven't going Sadhu Sangha or is Ramapad Maharaj doing something? Or, yeah, so there's all kinds of festivities. Hare Krishna.